Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we are going to be discussing books about the great outdoors. And this idea came from the fact that uh, with six months into COVID, we know that people can't really travel the way they usually do. But I think we're hearing more and more about people kind of going somewhere in the mountains or to a lake or something to sort of get away while still say, staying pretty isolated. And Anne, I think you have personal experience of that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I had a birthday last week and I had pretty big travel plans and I was super excited about it. And I had been planning it for a year, or, yeah, about a year. And as the year kept going, I kept getting a more and more of a sinking feeling mm -hmm. in the pit of my stomach. And so um, at a certain point, I, I think I was watching, uh, is it called Wine Country? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that I think, movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, was, I think that's what, what it was that made me think, oh, I could still do something like this. And, mm -hmm. and it wouldn't be sort of full of events like it is in that movie. But I, my sister and I could meet up and do something that felt like an event. And so that's that's what I did last week. I, I got a cabin in Ohio and my sister drove down and met me and, and it was just lovely. And Hallie and I were just talking about how I've, I've always um, not been someone who has used my vacation days to relax. And uh, I'm pretty sold on it at this point. So <laughs> nothing like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm happy birthday. It's a good thing. Officially happy birthday. I wish oh, you a birth thank you. happy birthday on your birthday, but we'll do it. Yeah. On, we'll do it on on record. <laughs> now it's official. Now it's official. And it's a real birthday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so do you read a lot of books about nature and the great outdoors? Uh, no. And I was worried that I wouldn't have enough. And then there are a lot of books that, that – um, fit into that that I wouldn't have uh, you know when I when I was going through my books I was surprised at how many things I could I could use that mm -hmm. fit into that but it isn't something I'm typically drawn to um I like nature mm -hmm. but I'm not someone who studies nature I right. guess and so yeah. I just don't I don't read a lot of like nonfiction right yes world yeah so when we first talked about this topic that was the first thing I thought of is sort of nonfiction naturey like Walden you know kind yeah. of thing and I was oh like gosh, oh gosh I, I hate Walden oh I hated that book I, I, hated I have so many book. feelings about about Thoreau I and um book. his abuse of women but that's another topic here's kind of a funny story about how much <laughs> I hated that book when I was in college I read that for the first and only time in a class mm -hmm. and the copy of that book that I had was misprinted so there was a whole section of the book that was I don't remember now if it was a repeat of a different section of the book or just missing I don't remember now what it was but yeah. I disliked that book so much that I never I just skipped that whole part and it was literally probably a hundred <laughs> pages of that book and I just thought well all right we're just gonna move forward with this I don't need to read this this is a sign from the universe that I don't need to read this part and yeah, just skipped right over it. <laughs> nice. I like that. That's just just kind of thumbing your nose at, at the book. And well, and it was just yeah, it was one of those things where often in college English classes the tests and exams would be about they would give you options, so they would give you multiple 
like different essay topics that you could right. write about. So you didn't necessarily have to have read every word of every book to be able to right. still do okay on the test. Totally. And so I had apparently caught on to that by then. This is, I think, my freshman year. But I had apparently caught on to it because I definitely was like, well, I just won't write about Walden in the, on the final. <laughs> I'll just skip it. <laughs> Anyway, but what I read of it, I did not enjoy. And I really didn't like that he wasn't actually like as isolated as not at all to be. Yeah, no. And I shouldn't say he abused women that that has a connotation that I don't mean, but he used the women in his life Mm -hmm. to be able to do this project that he Mm -hmm. was doing. And it's not even so much that he I don't even have as much of a problem with him as I have a problem with men who justify their need to get away from everything and find themselves and to um not have responsibilities um through walden and Mm. i've known more than one man who has done that and i'm like i think that you don't understand that he was able to do the things he did because his mom and his sisters came to do his laundry for him and so i get very very annoyed by that but (laughs) oh thoreau so (laughs) If we both sort of, that was our original thought, then I'm sure people are wondering what we're actually going to talk about today. (laughs) So I will say from my perspective, it'll be clear in my books, but it was more about how the natural environment plays a role in every story in the books that I'm going to be talking about uh, versus a book dedicated just to the study of nature or something like right, that. Right, exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and when I thought about it in that way, I was like, oh, I've read a lot of books like that. Yeah, like, I really, totally. and I like them quite a lot. So Yeah. And it is kind of fun to, uh, especially right now when we're not going very many places, to think about um, different books that bring in that outside world of, right. of, of other, other climates and things that we wouldn't be experiencing here. Right. Which and is I fun. think it, it definitely makes you, the, just the circumstances we're in right now, where you have to find things to entertain yourselves. And we, I mean, I think both of us can find plenty of pop culture things to entertain ourselves. Right. But, but to not be able to travel and go to other cultural locations, mm-hmm. it does, it has made me take more walks and more, mm-hmm. um, you know, this, this vacation was in the woods that I just took. And to take a, a walk every day and to go on some hikes and things mm-hmm. like that, it just... It, it it really made me remember how much I do enjoy that and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, how much entertainment comes from that, too. So Yeah. Well, I'm always amazed because I, con- I don't consider myself like an outdoorsy person in any way, shape or form. Yeah. But I do really like I notice I would I should say I notice when I haven't been able to take my dogs for a walk for a couple of days, say it's raining or it's too hot or something like that. So I can't take the dogs for a walk or I love to sit outside and read. And if mm-hmm. I if I don't do that for a few days, I definitely notice that I'm sort of itching to go and be outside and get fresh yeah. air. I get like cabin fever. Like I don't like being in the house all day or going just from the house to the car to a store or to work right. or whatever. You know, I like I do like being out in the world, which is funny because I've never been one to say, let's go camping or something like that. It's always, <laughs> I'm much more of a, a city kind of a person yeah. or suburban yeah, kind of a person, not a nature person. But yet I right. do really love, love that time of being outside. So yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, why don't we just dive right in? You can share about your first book. 
cool. So the first book I'll talk about is Force of Nature by Jane Harper. And this is the second book in the Aaron Falk series. Um, have you read this? I have this read this, yes. Okay, I, have, okay. Yes. I knew you'd read the first one, but I couldn't remember if you'd read this one too. Um, so this came out a couple of years ago. And since it came out, Jane Harper has been po- has been publishing standalones. So I thought there were more kind of in my head. And then I realized that the, nothing has come out since the, this mm-hmm. one. So um, so I'm, I, I know she has a new book coming out, but it's not... Um, it's not another book in this series, so I'd like a new one, please. So, <laughs> Dear Miss Harper, um, please yes. write another book. I mean, she can still write her standalones because I really do love those, but, um, you know, I like yeah. the series too. Yeah. So. so the main character, Aaron Falk, is an Australian federal investigator, and he specializes in financial crimes, but through that avenue, he keeps getting involved with murders. Um which I don't think is typically what financial people do, but <laughs> that seems to be the case with, with him. So he, um, in the course of this book, he he is investigating the disappearance of a woman who went into this rainforesty kind of mountain range um, in Australia on a corporate retreat. And when I was writing my show notes, I kept trying to figure out where this, this mountain range is. And then finally I read something that said it's fictional. So I wasted a whole lot of time uh, researching the name of this thing. So, um, so this, this corporate retreat is intended to make employees sort of think differently and outside the box and, and get outside the office and develop some teamwork in a different scenario than what they're used to. And just your, your kind of typical office, um, exercises. So no one in the office wants to do it, but they have to. And so they split into a men's team and a women's team and the men's team arrives at the meeting point basically they have to walk through the forest and and come out the other side and so the men's team arrives as scheduled but the women's team is late and so then you have uh one of my favorite premises which is when five people go in and only four come out and um all of the mystery that comes with that so the woman who disappeared was named alice russell and she had contacted falk the night before uh she left on the retreat and left him this kind of strange and and staticky voicemail and she can or he can only understand the words hurt her and he doesn't know what this means and so he's really concerned because he had been working with her as um basically a whistleblower about some compromising information about her company and some of her coworkers. and so when she doesn't um appear at the end of this retreat then he's called in as as someone who can investigate this since he had had this this contact with her and it's a potential motive that that she could have have um been murdered so the mystery is also complicated because this this area is famous for having a serial killer in the past who had preyed on women uh, in this area and uh, and i think had buried women there and so the serial killer is dead but his son is known to be in the area and falk doesn't trust him and so there's sort of this extra element of um, danger that that's going on. So this book is structured in that way that I love that has the investigation and, and everything that is leading up to the disappearance kind of going back and forth. So it really drives the plot and, um, it just has a lot of existing tension between these women and the breaking point is, is really heightened because of this natural environment. So for some reason, this company has decided to give them um, zero safety precautions, <laughs> which I don't understand. Um, but that really helps with the sense of desperation and isolation that they have because they're totally at the mercy of these mountains and they just, 
don't really have a way to get in contact with anyone when they need help. So um, when I read this, it was uh, a couple of years ago, whenever it came out, and and I read it on an international flight, and I I just forgot that I had people so close to me because it really created that sense of abandonment that was was really eerie and creepy, and and you just have this really intense sense of dread because of of this natural environment that Jane Harper evokes in this book and so if you um, are a little bit afraid of nature then uh, I think I would put myself in that camp (laughs) and so this would be a great book for that and this is called Force of Nature by Jane Harper. So this is so funny you told me you were going to talk about this book and I like I knew you were going to talk about this book yeah. But the book that I'm first going to talk about is so similar to your book. <laughs> and I, I, so you would know this, but I'll explain it to my, for anyone who's listening. So where I work, one of the things we do in, so we have a database that we, and other products that we sell to libraries. And one of the things we do is um, connect books and authors and series and say, you know, if you like this book, you would like that book. They're called readalikes. And I just today <laughs> wrote a read-alike <laughs> recommendation for your book to my book <laughs> without ever connecting the fact that we were both talking about them tonight. That is too funny. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. So my book is called One by One by Ruth Ware. And I think I talked about this in the fall preview, or you talked about this. One of us, I think, talked I think about you this did. in the fall yeah. preview. But I've read it now, so I can actually speak about it with some more knowledge than we usually do in the fall previews. And the premise of this is that there's a technology <laughs> company who's having a corporate <laughs> retreat. <laughs> but they're going to the French Alps. Um, oh, that's different. Totally right, totally different. different. Right. Um, no, I mean, I don't mean to disparage the authors. It's clear they're clearly different books, but it's just <laughs> funny because they're. I think if you like one, you would like the other. Yeah, is the bottom yeah. Line. I'm, it's cracking me up that they, <laughs> you know, you you trade out the mountain range. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all you need to that's do. That's all you need to do. So, um, <laughs> so in the book, there are ten people who are attending t- this corporate retreat in the Alps, and nine of them are currently working for this tech company and one of the one of the people is a woman who was an assistant to the founder when the company first started uh, but has since left and there is an offer for a buyout of the app that they've created so basically they've created something that's sort of like Spotify or Pandora but you follow people uh, and can listen into what they're listening to, what music they're listening to. And it's it's sort of anonymous and it's, you can track, it's called Snoop, I believe. Is that what it's called? I think it's called Snoop. And it's basically, you're doing, nobody knows who's listening in on their music choices, Ooh. I think. Anyway, um, but they've recently added a GPS component um, and nobody knows about it yet, but it's going to make it much more appealing to a buyer potentially because it's like a technology that they would want because they can track people's habits and where they are and all these different things. But it's something that the users might really bristle against because all of their personal information would be shared. So. The two founders of this app were married when they started the company and are now divorced. And one of them wants to sell and one of them doesn't. And so now there are these two factions of the people that are attending this corporate retreat on the the division between who's supporting the the husband versus the wife. And the woman who doesn't work there any longer 
had originally, when the company was first starting, they were in some serious financial straits. And she had a little bit of money. And I don't remember if it was saved or an inheritance or something like that. It was about $10,000, if I'm remembering correctly, that she offered to them in order for the company to stay afloat. Like they just needed to get over this little bit of a hump to actually uh, succeed. And she was able to give them the money they needed to do that. So she basically bought into the company for a very small amount, but she is a shareholder of the company. So she has a say on whether or not there is this um, buyout happening. And it's clear that she left under bad circumstances. It's clear that uh, she has negative feelings about the company. They are seemingly sort of kind of tiptoeing around her, but also being kind of mean to her in a way that they clearly don't like her. And so you know that there's history there, but it's not evident at first what that is. And so uh, they're at this beautiful, luxurious chalet in the Alps, and the founder, his name is Topher, which is just so perfect. Um, he wants to go out and do all of this sort of outdoorsy stuff. He wants to go skiing and he wants snowshoes so they can go as is it snowshoeing across the mountain, hiking across the mountain, whatever it yeah. is. Um, and he's kind of a bully about it. Like he kind of pushes everybody. He's one of those guys who's like, no, come on, you've got to go. You've got to go. You know, it's just very much. There's all this pressure on these people there. This is not a relaxing vacation by any means and then an avalanche hits and so they are all there totally cut off from everything they have no cell service they have no power and one of the members of the group when they're skiing as the avalanche is as a storm is starting that causes the avalanche uh skis what they think happens is that she skis off the side of a mountain because of poor visibility and she dies. And then it becomes clear that maybe somebody pushed her or something not so innocent happened to cause her to go over the side. And they're all stuck together and they can't go anywhere and they can't get any help in. And it's becoming increasingly apparent that there's somebody among them that maybe doesn't want everybody to make it out alive. So there's a real sense of claustrophobia. It's a, The cold is so pervasive, especially once the avalanche hits and they don't have any power and it's just getting colder and colder and colder in their chalet. There's so much tension because not sure what to do. And so a couple of people leave to try to go find help. And so then the group's getting smaller. It's just so good. It's just so good. If you like that sort of locked room mystery where you're trying to figure out everybody's motives. And then there are people, the owner, or not the owner, but she's like the host of the chalet, sort of like the manager. She has, her perspective is shown. It's clear something happened in her past. So you're like, wait, does she have something to do with this? So it's so good. Uh, it's called One by One by Ruth Ware. Oh, I want to read it right now. You could. I think it, it sounds, is it out? It's, I think out. so. Yeah, you could. Yeah, or I have a copy of yeah. it somewhere, but but it sounds really fun. Yeah, it's good. I think you and like it, it. it sounds different enough from my book. Yes, it is. It's versus... actually very different from your book, but it just <laughs> makes me laugh. Yeah, I like I said. I think if you liked one, you would like the other. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, next uh, I'll talk about Minnow by James E. McTeer II. And in full disclosure, the author is the son of a friend and uh, one of our former coworkers at our former library in Beaufort County. Um, so she did not force me to talk about this. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the book. 
but I did work there during that whole publishing process. And so it was really exciting to see the the development from the publication to, of the book to it getting critical attention and and you know starred reviews and um, eventually it won some awards and so it it was just a really fun thing for my, to see my friends so excited about this so um, and and you know cool for Beaufort County to have have a an author that got so much recognition so this book is based on Beaufort but in the book it's called Newfort. And uh, it follows the adventure of a boy named Minnow who is on a quest to get medicine for his dying father. So his mom um, starts out by sending him to town for a specific medicine, but the pharmacist there says that it's impossible to get, but that he could try to go to a different part of town that's kind of seedy and, and sort of like a harbor kind of location. So there, from there, he, he might be able to find um, a, a worker named Dr. Crow who might have this medicine so he's he's just being kind of passed from person to person so once Minnow finds Dr. Crow he's told that his money isn't any good and that he only can get the medicine if he finds the grave of a legendary witch doctor named Sari George and he brings Dr. Crow back some of the grave dust so Minnow is basically desperate to save his father and so he agrees to this and so then he starts on a journey to the sea islands and if you know that area you'll recognize the settings that that um, the author describes as the island of saint helena and hunting island and those are very very distinctive landscapes uh, in that area so it's it's um, kind of a fun uh, not easter egg but it's it's fun if you're if you know it to, to recognize exactly where he is along the way so he, he takes a dog as his companion and, and he just has this kind of adventure. So while he's he's traveling, he encounters all these different kinds of people and he has different challenges. And so it's kind of the Southern Gothic um, uh, quest novel where he has to meet up with an escaped convict that's hiding out in the, the marsh and he uh, will battle murderous wild boars and, and really takes on the natural world in that way. Um, but th- he also is encountering people that that talk about the the uh, folklore of the Low Country, like like Plat Eyes and Haints, and and it really gives this sense of mystery and sort of the other world that really ties in well with the natural scenery. And and if you've spent any time there, you know how closely linked those things are. So um, you you just definitely have um, an amazing sense of the outdoors in this book and that even though I read this probably five years ago at this point um, that's my main memory of reading it It, and that it's just full of these lush descriptions of the jungles of Hunting Island and the Spartina grass that grows along the river that sort of makes this distinctive rustling sound and then you have all the um, live oaks that have Spanish moss hanging from them and there's definitely a reason that people travel to the low country for for all of these things so um it's it's just a very lovely book and and does a great job of of capturing um those memories for me and and that feeling and um it's it's something I need to revisit anytime I feel sort of homesick for for that part of my life so that is Minnow by James E. McTeer II. Yeah, I never read that, but I was still living there when it came out, and I always wanted to. I thought it was, um, I know it was very well received by everybody, and it was so exciting that we knew. Yeah. We kind of tangentially, or at least I tangentially knew the, the author. Yeah, it it cracked me up because our, our coworker, Kathleen, she yeah. 
she was just over the moon about yeah, all of so this. Excited. So, so, so it was really fun to see. And yeah. and Pat Conroy was at the book launch event and, and I think gave a blurb for it. And so it just was really, really neat to see that yeah. kind of through line of, of yeah. the um, low country yeah. literary tradition. So Yeah, for sure. All right. So my second one is Wild by Cheryl Strayed. And I know a lot of people have read this or seen the movie, but I'm talking about it just in case you haven't, because I feel like, (laughs) well, I feel like there are always books I assume, well, everybody's read that. But then you find out not everybody has read a book or in this case, seen the movie. So I thought this is so appropriate for this topic that I just wanted to talk about it. It came out, I think, in 2004. 12, maybe 2013, something like that. So it's one of those books that if you were at a time in your life that you weren't reading then but are reading now, that maybe it's one that miss, you missed and or, you know, skipped by you. So I wanted to talk That's about me. It. Right. I well, I... So here's my rationale, too. I have not read Where the Crawdads Sing, which mm-hmm. I think that anybody would assume that somebody who reads as much as you or I do would have read that because it was so po- – it still is so popular. Mm-hmm. But it was just – I'm on this committee. I'm doing a lot of reading for that committee, so I haven't read it. So that's, I don't know. There's, I was just always, especially when I worked in the public library, I was always surprised when people would not have read what I considered the big books, where right. you just felt like a book like Gone Girl or Girl on the Train, those kinds of books that really capture the public's attention. Everybody yeah. reads. So that's why I'm talking about Wild. So I'm sorry if you've already <laughs> read this and you're listening, but um, I think it's worth talking about. So I've actually read this book twice. The first time... Um, or I did it once on audio and then once uh, in print. And I did that. I've done that. I've talked about this before. But when uh, my book club would read a book that I had already read, I would often reread it in the opposite format of how I'd originally consumed it. Uh, and so that's what happened. I had already read this when my book club chose it. And so I reread it. And um, it's interesting because the first time I read it, I liked it. I thought it was fine. I thought it was a good story. But then the second time I read it, in between, I had read uh, the book Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed, which I am 100% sure I've already talked about on this podcast, but it's one of my favorite books of all time. It's a book of essays. Um, They're responses for an advice column that Cheryl Strayed wrote for a period of time. And it's part memoir. It's part advice column. It's sort of like a self-help book a little bit. And so in it, she shares a lot about herself and her past. And so, and it was written, all these advice columns were written after the events of Wild. So when I went back and I read Wild again, I came at it from a new perspective of having more understanding of who Cheryl Strayed was as a person, as well as how much the events prior to what happens in Wild affected her. So here is sort of the outline. Um, this is a memoir. Cheryl Strayed uh, in the mid-90s hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. The Pacific Crest Trail, I think, is more well-known now partially because of this book, but it is a uh, nature trail on the west coast of the U.S. that goes from the Mexican border to the Canadian border. It goes through uh, three states, and there are something like nine different mountain ranges or something like that. It's a pretty intense trail um it's it's east coast equivalent is the appalachian trail but the appalachian trail is much more well traveled and much more of a day tripper and sort of hiker trail than the pacific crest trail so it gets just more because it gets more use it's more of a trail that 
uh, I don't know how to say, like because people walk on it, like it's trampled down. So there's a more mm-hmm. clear cut path of the whole Appalachian Trail. Whereas the Pacific Crest Trail, there are places where it's just a very, very narrow you almost can't even tell where the trail is because it's so kind of overgrown. It's just not as it's not as many people hike it. So so Cheryl Strayed does not hike. She was not a hiker, um, but she was just going through a really, really terrible time. She was in her mid 20s and a few years prior, her her mother had passed away and she was very, very close to her mother and she was grieving the death of her mother and Uh, Her life sort of fell apart. I mean, that's, I think, the only way to describe it. She was engaging in very self-destructive behavior. She was doing lots of drugs. She was sleeping around. She was married at the time. Uh, She had a very kind and supportive husband. But she was doing everything in her power to push him away because she was just going through such a a terrible time and um, decides she wants to get a divorce. She doesn't want to be with him anymore because she basically can't bear to have anything good in her life because she is so devastated. Right after her divorce, she goes and she's she picks up a guidebook about the Pacific Crest Trail and it inspires her that this is what she needs to do to help her get back to a good place in her life. That she needs to be alone for a while. She needs to immerse herself in nature. She needs to... Um, take away all these temptations that she has been drawn to. And so she just needs sort of a fresh start. So she is completely unprepared to do this hike. It's such, it's truly, she decides on a whim to go and do this. And uh, the first time she picks up her backpack to try, you know, um, she loads up her backpack with all her supplies. And the first time she puts it on her back and tries it is literally, I think, the day before she's about to hike or the day (laughs) she's starting her hike. I mean, that's how unprepared she is. Um, her boots don't fit. She's just, she is, she is an amateur, amateur hiker, but she's determined. And that really counts for a lot in this book is she doesn't want to give up and she wants to get this done and she wants to do this. So the book recounts her three month hike. She hikes 1100 miles of the trail. She doesn't do, I think the whole trail is like 2,600 miles and she does 1100 miles of it. And she recounts how all the highs and lows that came along with it, the the moments that she was ready to give up and the moments that she feels like she does see sort of inspiration and and feel a bit of grace uh, from the universe and like she sees a path through what she's going through. Um, and it's, as a reader, I think it's really maddening how unprepared she is because you do feel a little bit like she was putting herself and potentially other people in danger who would have had to come and help her. Um, but she makes it through. So because, because she does make it, out, you know, safe and unharmed, you can read it as um, without without being as worried about that, I think. Um, but you sympathize with her, too, I think. She's, she's in this absolute abyss of grief, and she doesn't know how to get out of it, and this is the only way uh, that she knows how. She... Um, she loves the poetry of Mary Oliver, and that's that's a through line of the book where she has this book that she reads on. She has several books, I think, but that's the one that she kind of keeps coming back to. And Mary Oliver often wrote poetry about the natural world, and she's out in the natural world and um, seeing the beauty. And she goes through all different climates, too, because there are times that she's in the desert, she's in the mountains, and it's um, 
obviously nature plays a huge role when she's sleeping outside every night. It's, it's ultimately a, just a very inspiring, moving story. I thought it was very gripping. There's a sense of suspense because you don't quite know if she's always going, how she's going to do on this hike. Um, and I have to say, I thought the movie was really well done, too. I thought it represented the book very well, and I thought it was very moving in and of itself. So if if you have aren't inspired to read the book uh, but are interested in spending a couple of hours watching the movie, I recommend that as well. Um, and so that is Wild by Cheryl Strayed. I would like to. It sounds good. I, I think that you're exactly right that that's a period where I just wasn't reading I was mm-hmm. in school or just yeah. was graduating from school and so yeah. I, I think I just kind of accepted that uh, I knew about it and I didn't need to read it myself right yeah so and valid right I mean there's certain books and and sometimes when a book becomes so ubiquitous where everybody's talking about it all the book clubs are reading it's everywhere you think i don't want to read that (laughs) too many people like you i always go one way or the other i want to read it because everybody's reading it and i want to know what everyone's talking about or i go the opposite way and i'm like i don't really need to read that i'll wait i'll wait until you know the fervor has died down and right and sometimes the fervor dies down and you just never get it back to it so right right or or like i can do my job because i know about it right and i don't have to have read it to yeah to do more with it so well and that was one of those books too everybody knew about it so you didn't as a librarian need to know it because people exactly people could walk in and say i want wild you didn't have to yeah. help them find it so yeah and if people said there's a book that's yeah. big right now yeah like i could just know what about somebody hiking about, so. yeah exactly yeah, yeah. I'll get to it. I promise. I know. <laughs> and truly, if you don't, like, there are so many books in the world. I would always recommend the book or the audiobook's really good, too. I, re- I listened to the audiobook. But the movie, I thought, was quite good, too. So that would be a, a perfectly reasonable option as well. <laughs> well, I like, I always like both. Yeah. So maybe yeah. I will do the audiobook because that, that's a good way to kind of do back this <laughs> stuff, I think. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Okay. What's your last one? Uh, my last book is called Wolf Winter by Cecilia Ekbeck, and it is set in northern Sweden in 1717, and the winter um, that year was even harsher than normal. Um, so kind of as a side lead into this, um, I love Scandinavian winter so much. <laughs> and so this past uh, New Year's uh, or Christmas, I went to... to uh, Scandinavia for for the holidays Mm -hmm. and I specifically went to northern Sweden to experience this kind of winter because I had never had something quite this harsh so um it was hilarious because it ended up being what they said was a really mild winter and they kept apologizing all the all the different you know ice hotel people that we met and different um uh, people at the Airbnbs where we were staying and they all kept apologizing and saying that everything was melting and that this was so mild and in the meantime I'm literally wearing like a silk under like like bodysuit kind uh-huh. of thing to uh-huh. retain body heat and then all these other layers and I couldn't take my gloves off for more than five seconds to take pictures uh-huh. <laughs> and they're, they're like oh this is nothing so if that wasn't harsh then I can't imagine what this book is depicting because it's it just blows my mind that things can be that cold so um so the the book centers on a family that arrives from finland and um it's a mother named maya and her husband is named pavo and then they have two daughters named frederica and dorotea and they settle in the region of sweden called lapland and uh they 
at that time, if I'm remembering my history right, it's all one country, and and so there is a lot of migration between um, that region, but but very specific regional differences between these people. So, um, so they are moving there because they've swapped properties with Maya's uncle, so they both can both families can get a fresh start because of some things that have happened in the past. So when they get there, it's a really formidable um, natural space, and at the same time, the, the neighbors that they do have, because there, there is a, a farming community there, they're very distant both physically and in their their social interactions with, with everyone else. So so it's just kind of odd, the, the scenario they found themselves in, but they this family hopes that they can have a good life there and that they can establish some roots there. Um, so they settle behind a mountain called Black uh, Oasin, and it's just this ominous and brooding presence in the story and and sort of like casts a literal and a figurative shadow over everything that happens and there are all kinds of stories that that are told about this this mountain and sort of the mysteries of it so one day Frederica the the older daughter I think she's a teenager and I think Dorotea is a like a five-year-old maybe um so Frederica is on the mountain tending the family's goats and she finds the mutilated body of their neighbor Erikson and the neighbors say that it was a wolf attack and they're just adamant about this, but Maya and Frederica just don't think that's possible. They, they feel, um, based on their knowledge, that it has to have been a human that did this. And so the neighbors um, are just brushing all of this off and they are acting kind of strangely about everything and they won't really accept Eric Jean's widow uh, back into the community. And all of this just seems off to, to Maya and Frederica. So... Um, Maya decides that she's going to try to find out more about what is going on because these are her neighbors and she needs to understand them because they're all completely dependent on each other for survival in this in this landscape. So um, as the story progresses, there are some other strange things that happen um, and children are disappearing and no one seems upset about this besides Maya and her family. So at this point, the winter begins <laughs> and the family begins to struggle um, with with their survival. And so Pavo leaves to go look for work so he can send money back. And Maya and her daughters are going to have to survive the winter alone. And so this is this is, a, you know, we talk about the land of the midnight sun. But the opposite of that is in the winter, you get very, very mm-hmm. little light. And um, from my experience, the, the times that were light it always felt like you were in the super early morning or Mm -hmm. like dusk right yeah or dusk and it just never got to anything beyond that so um so it's just it's just you know with the the very little light that you have it's really hard to sort of maintain a feeling of having life because you're just doing you're existing sort of in this lessened version Mm -hmm. of of what you're used to so um, so the winter conditions keep getting worse, and as that happens, the community begins to fall apart, and all the neighbors there are tied to the Christian church there, but they're very superstitious and sort of believe in um, an older um, uh, belief system, and mm-hmm. they have a local priest who's working to try to get them to accept Christianity, but they're just not really buying it, but but still very tied to the church, but very suspicious of other people that, that have come into the community. So um, Maya and Frederica are both interested in the Sami people that are indigenous to that that uh, 
region and that also helps to separate them from the community even more and and it sort of adds this element of of kind of a mystical uh energy that that is coming from the mountain that they're they're that's sort of coloring all their experiences so um from what i've said the plot kind of indicates that it's a mystery right yeah this yeah i read it for my mystery book club but it it definitely can be read that way, but it's much, much more about the characters and the setting and their survival. And so when I read this, I, I lived in, in Beaufort in the Low Country, and I, I re- reread my review um, uh, earlier today, and I wrote about how cold I was when I read this, just because the author makes the setting so vivid in your mm-hmm. mind and and really plays into the mounting fear that you get as the seasons change and you realize that you're not ready for it and how as the snow sort of piles on top of itself then you're also getting that sense of dread and so it's just really really well done so um the the title comes from um something that that one of the characters says that the wolf winter is the kind of winter that reminds you that you're mortal and alone oh Oh, and that's the the theme of this book so it's very very good and it's called wolf winter by cecilia ekbeck that sounds really good yeah i liked it a lot i've never i know she's she's written some others but they're and they're set it's like a loose series um and i i need to go back and finish it because I, i really enjoyed this one all right well my last one is flight behavior by barbara kingsolver and Barbara Kingsolver, I think, is an author who you would think of generally when you think of uh, echo fiction or green, like yeah, green definitely. literature, however you want to call it, um, because she infuses all of her novels with a really strong sense of the natural world, and it's a focus of hers. I think she's uh, written some nonfiction about it as well. There's one right. I've read. I think I'm just not sure if there's more than one, but she and her family lived off of what they could grow and find locally for a year. Um, So obviously sustainability is a big thing to her um, and just protecting the natural world is a big thing for her. But this, so I think I've read almost all of her books. I don't think it's quite all of them, but this was one that I don't know why it just was the first one that popped to mind. I vividly remember um, some of the descriptions that she she uses in this book just being so gorgeous and evocative about the place and the the natural world. So this is the one I wanted to talk about, but I think you you could honestly pretty much read any Barbara King solver and um, yeah, and feel like the natural world is a, a large part of the story. Um, so can I, th- can I tell you something funny really? Fast? Uh, sure, of course. So my my sister just did Poisonwood Bible for one of her book clubs. Oh yeah, and they didn't they no one had ever heard of it and she kept <gasps> insisting this is like a major major book and people were like no i've never heard of oh her. my gosh i don't know what this is and it was making her kind of flip out and um i, don't, I mean there's no real end to that story yeah well no <laughs> but i mean i think so that's bizarre just, to me that proves our point of what we were saying about some books just like miss people if they right that book came out what in 99 or 2000 maybe or yeah, somewhere so. around there and so if you were in college or high school or having babies or whatever you were doing in that time frame, maybe you weren't reading Poisonwood Bible. But yeah, that was such a huge book. Yeah. Uh, Hard to believe that. Yeah. But true. (laughs) I mean, honestly, there are always those books. So this book came out about, gosh, I'm I'm struggling with dates right now, but I think in like 2012, 2013, kind of the same as Wild, actually. Um, And it's all about climate change, but it feels very, very timely because as we know, there are many things happening in the world right now that I think there are many, um, there are wildfires on the West Coast right now that are 
that are happening um, and that climate change is something I think that we're all at least aware of. I think there are a large portion of people very concerned about it as well. The, the thing I really liked about this book, though, is it's a really good story. It's not just I didn't feel like I was reading this angry tirade about we must, you know, we must do certain things to save the planet. It was just a generally a really good story that wove in these elements about the world and and preserving it and all these things. So um, it's about a woman named Della Robia Turnbow, I think. Um, and she is what? It's just a, a great name. It's a good name. I know. Uh, she is in, I think, her late 20s, maybe early 30s. Uh, she got pregnant in high school accidentally and uh, is now has been married for 11 years to a nice guy, but he's kind of boring and she feels like her marriage is kind of lackluster. Uh, she lives on her husband's family's uh, sheep farm, which is struggling. And she just generally feels bored and kind of restless. And so one day she has decided to spice up her life and have a bit of a fling. And she is on the way to this uh, assignation when she sees this astonishing sight where she comes over a hill and in the valley uh, of her in-law's farm is just covered with thousands or maybe millions of butterflies. And so it literally looks like just a sea of yellow and orange. At first, they think that this is going to be a great thing for them because it's such an astonishing sight that people want to come see it, that these butterflies have settled there. They've never been there before. And um, and so tourists are going to come. They're going to inject money into the local economy. It's going to help her uh, family's farm that people will be um, spending money to be there. And then they realize that there's a research team that comes who wants to study it. And they determined that the butterflies should have migrated to Mexico. Uh, that's what they usually do. But because of the pollution in Mexico, they can't, they can't settle there. So they have settled farther north. But they're, they're oh, so I don't, I don't know if I ever said, I think they're in Tennessee, Kentucky, somewhere oh. in that area. The temperatures there are going to be too harsh. The, the butterflies aren't going to be able to survive or thrive um, the way they would need to, the way they usually would in Mexico, where they would go and they would reproduce. And um, th that's just not going to happen. And so um, this opens up Della Rose's whole world, basically, that, that this event happens. She, she takes a job with the research team and she starts realizing all that she could do uh, beyond what she was doing in um, in her kind of small life. And so it's really the story of her coming into her own, but it's also very much about, about nature and the way what we are putting out into the world is affecting the natural world and insects and animals and trees and everything. And so um, I don't know. I thought it was, it, like I said, I thought that it was, it made a statement, but it was also not, it oh, It still felt like a an enjoyable book to read, which to me, as somebody who doesn't read a whole lot of nonfiction about nature, I do need that story. I do need to feel like I'm reading it for characters and plot and not just about to read beautiful descriptions of nature, but this has both. So that is Flight Behavior by Barbara Kingsolver. That sounds so good. She's a national treasure, I think. She is a national treasure. That was, speaking of book clubs, that we read that in my book club. 
her books are so good for book clubs to discuss. Totally. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. just if you're book, if you are in a book club and have ever ever come into a circumstance where you need just a quick suggestion and nobody has any ideas, just pick a Barbara King Silver book. They're all, <laughs> I mean, truly, like I feel like they're all so good, so discussable. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, yeah. uh, we will be right back with what we're reading this week. And what are you reading this week? Uh, this week I'm listening to Deathless Divide by Justina Ireland. And I really thought I had talked about the first book in this series, but I haven't. And I will have to talk about it. Even if I had talked about it, I'd have to talk about it a second time because the whole book would be spoilers um, <laughs> otherwise. So so the first book in the series is called Dread Nation. And it came out about, out about two years ago. And it's about, a it's a historical fiction um, for, it's a YA book. Um, that's kind of like historical fiction meets horror meets adventure meets um, so, yeah other mm-hmm. stuff so lots of lots of things um, so it's about a girl named Jane McKean and she's born during an alternative version of the Civil War when the dead suddenly rose again on the battlefield of Gettysburg and this event ended the war but it still didn't really solve anything because it um it, it made slavery end, but now the black population is is required to fight zombies to protect the white people from from the zombies. So, um, and in this book, they're called shamblers instead of zombies. So Jane is the illegitimate daughter of a Kentucky um, plantation owner and his mistress, and her mother was passing for white, and Jane can't, and so. Um, she is sent to become an attendant at what is called Miss Preston's School for Combat in Baltimore. And it sounds very genteel and lovely, mm-hmm. but um, actually she's going to be trained to become both a fighter and a lady's maid for white women, um, all to protect white women because their lives are considered more valuable. So this this uh, school is very much based on the re-education schools that were um uh, required for Native Americans uh, during the 19th century and, and 20th century. Um, so that's what you can picture. Um, so Jane just, she's not really having it. She's she's at the school, but she's very brassy and she really struggles with authority and she doesn't get along with the more demure girls that are there. Um, there's a, a girl named Catherine who's basically her enemy who can pass for white and she's much more proper and sort of has this... Um, uh, behavioral code that that Jane just thinks is ridiculous and Catherine uses beauty as a weapon and so Jane just doesn't really respect her very much so um so the system that Jane is in she really hates it but she does enjoy fighting and she's very good at it and so um she's she's just kind of sort of too good too good and too curious for her own good <laughs> so mm-hmm. she realizes that there's something weird that's going on in Baltimore um and that prominent families are disappearing, um, just all the entire family. And so Jane is curious, but then it sort of comes back to bite her because when she finds out some information, she gets sent away to a community called Summerland. And it's this Western town that's in the middle of nowhere. And I'm guessing, like I picture it being Western Western, like where I'm from, but I'm I'm thinking it must be more like Appalachian just Mm -hmm. because of the you know, how big the country was at the time. So, uh, or like, you know, right. whatever Western edge of, of the United States at the time. So, um, 
so when she gets there, it seems very promising. And, and it's clearly like, like a, almost like a planned community kind of the way we think now. Mm-hmm. But there's something that's seriously wrong there. And uh, Jane is going to find out what that what that thing is. So um, so this this book is is just very high concept. And it reminds me of some other books that have, I guess it's kind of a trend right now of, of other books that deal with the same period of American history that subvert what we know about that history to comment on current racial mm-hmm. uh, conditions. So uh, what came to mind for me was The Underground Railroad by uh, Colson Whitehead and The Good Lord Bird by James McBride. Mm-hmm. And those both, to me, have a similar, um, not a similar feel, but a similar uh, uh, viewpoint. Mm-hmm. But this one is for a YA audience, and it's m- much more plot driven than those books are. Um, so when I think about this book, I keep thinking that there has to be a movie of it. And I don't know if there's one in development, but it's just such a cinematic book. And there are so many parts to this book that even when I'm I'm really hazy on details, I can remember really specific images because Justina Ireland just does a great job of, of really uh, describing everything in a way that makes it feel like you've, you've seen it on the screen. So fingers crossed, um, I need to research that a little bit. And she just writes, her, her characters are really great, and she makes Jane into a complicated hero who isn't really what you get from a lot of YA when, when so many YA um, heroes are just kind of too good to be true. Mm-hmm. Then Catherine, or sorry, then Jane is is just a much more complicated person. And um, Catherine is, isn't really a side trope character the way you expect her to be and becomes really fleshed out and their relationship becomes really central to the book. So um, I, I just really enjoyed this. I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with the sequel just because I have uh, not a great memory for mm-hmm. who characters are and they always jump right in with YA in, in a way that doesn't help me out at yeah. all. Um, but I really, I, I'm, I can't say I enjoy, but I'm always really drawn to books where authors re-examine race in ways mm-hmm. that that um just kind of shine new light on it and and make us look at it in Mm -hmm. in ways that we haven't before so um so this is a good series to pick up and that is uh the first book is called dread nation by justina ireland yeah that's one that it definitely piqued my interest when it was out because it just seemed different than anything else that i had read especially on in the teen space so right Uh, but i haven't gotten there yet I will <laughs> um, All right. So what I'm reading this week is Aria by Nazanin Hozar. And it is historical fiction, technically, I guess, which makes me feel super old because it spans 30 years from the 1950s to the 1980s. Oh, my uh, gosh. I know. But I think that's I think that's technically considered historical fiction now. Uh, and it takes place in Iran, which is an area I, I don't know much about their history. So um, I always love to read a book that opens my eyes to something that I didn't know about. Um, and I love historical fiction because that's, I mean, that's why I love reading historical fiction. It teaches me something about the history, but with a story that I can sort of hang on to, which is which is not as dry as if I were to just read a history of a country. Um, so it's about a young girl named Arya who is an orphan. She was abandoned as an infant because she has blue eyes, which is considered a curse. So her mother... Uh, as soon as she is born, takes her and leaves her in an alley. And an army truck driver is driving by and hears her crying. And he finds her and rescues her and brings her home. And he is married to a much older woman who is clear he doesn't love, really. His family forced him to marry her. But he's a very, very kind 
kind man. He wants the best for this little baby that he brought home. But he is gone a lot. His um, his job as an army driver keeps him gone for weeks at a time. So his wife is the one primarily responsible for raising this young girl. And she is very cruel to Arya. She uh, clearly does not want her in the house. Um, and and Arya is pretty resilient, though, and she she just sort of takes whatever Zara is the name of uh, the man's wife. And um, she just kind of takes whatever is thrown at her by literally sometimes figuratively other times (laughs) um, by this woman. Um, And she makes friends with her next door neighbor, who's this boy who uh, whenever they can, they, they either like talk out their windows or they'll meet up and and try to play. And, um, and so that's a bright spot in her life. Um, and then at one point she has this absolutely terrible eye infection where she she can't even open her eyes. They, the descriptions are like she's bleeding out her eyes basically, which is just so gross. Oh gosh! Um, but she her she's been so neglected, like her um, she hasn't been bathed, uh, like or she hasn't had the opportunity to bathe, and so she's just she has this terrible infection that that goes into her eyes. Um, anyway, so because of this, she ends up at somebody's house who. Um, or somebody decides to help her and and takes her to this woman's house who's actually quite wealthy, um, but really emotionally reserved and kind of holds back her affection. But it's a much better environment than when she was at the house with the the with Zara, who was so cruel to her. And it, so as Arya is getting settled into her new home, all of a sudden secrets about the woman that was Zara, who was cruel to her, and then her own birth mother start coming out. And it's clear that there are connections between these people that she wasn't aware of and the reader wasn't aware of. And it's like, oh, wait, now this is, maybe it isn't so coincidental that all of these people have been a part of Arya's life. Um, and so that's that's about as far as I've gotten. Part of why I like it is like I said, I'm learning things about a time and a place that I didn't, I didn't really know, or I've heard passing mention of, but I've never really gotten into what the history is. And there's a lot about like the political climate at the time and the government and how the government changes in that in that period of time. Uh, and so it's definitely a bit of a heavier read, I would say, especially with the abuse. But um, the characters are really compelling and interesting. And Arya herself is a as a character you want to read about and find out what happens to her. So it keeps it from becoming too maudlin or too dark um, because she is so resilient and she is so determined. And so you, you want her to succeed. And, and so that kind of keeps you going. So that is Aria by Nazanin Hozar. That sounds so almost Dickensian in a way of, of yeah, a little bit there's different people who come in that she doesn't know how it's all related that sounds really interesting you're right i hadn't put that together but that's a very appropriate description yeah absolutely um cool all right well that's that's all the books we have so why don't we go off (laughs) go back and and list them all off okay so i talked about force of nature by jane harper minnow by james e mcteer the second Wolf Winter by Cecilia Eckbeck. And what I'm reading this week is Deathless Divide by Justina Ireland, but I talked about um, Dread Nation. And I talked about One by One by Ruth Ware, Wild by Cheryl Strayed, Flight Behavior by Barbara Kingsolver, and what I was reading this week is Aria by Nazanin Hozar. Uh, so before I get into my little wrap-up, 
Uh, we did want to let you know oh, yeah. that we are unfortunately going to have to miss one episode due to circumstances that were unexpected. We are not going to be able to record our next episode. So we were we will be back at the end of October with a sort of Halloween kind of episode. <laughs> uh, so if you would like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page or Twitter or Instagram pages at Well Read Podcast. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talk about in every episode. Thank you all for listening and happy reading, and we hope you're doing very well.